0: Okay, so here's the rub. I don't think this is gonna be a great sermon today. And I actually mean that from the bottom of my heart. I it's hard to explain, but if I had to guess, I was gonna say this is not gonna be a great sermon. Um I'm I'm not even joking. Um as as your pastor, <clears throat> this preaching thing's a real pain in the butt sometimes. Um not because I don't like it, not because there's nothing to say, not because I don't think God's word is so full of truth it 's just so hard sometimes to get something clearly across to to pull something from scripture that that God is saying to us and and get it across to us clearly and so um i I need to ask that 's the warning and then i need there 's an apology i 'm sorry for today 's sermon in advance because it might be a little bit um, chaotic at times in fact what i 'd like to do is um I'm want to change things around a little bit because here's what I was thinking today when uh, as in preparation for this, I realized that if I could just sit down and have a conversation with you all one on one, like we all go to lunch this week, there's not enough lunches in the week to make that happen, but if if that could happen, I know that I could express what God has put on my heart. um so I want to come down here this morning so it feels like we're talking a little bit more, um hopefully that doesn't make you uncomfortable. Um, and hopefully it can be conversational in a sense, and um, you just got to bear with me, because here's the thing, and this is what's so frustrating about preaching. Today's message is so very important. It's so close to my heart, my own heart, and it's so important for us as a church. Like, it's at, at the, the heart of this message today, we're looking at the, the story of Jonah. We're going to finish up the back, Half of Jonah, and, and looking at his life and what happens, and what we learn about God through Jonah's life, is so vitally important for us as a church to get. And yet, I, in my twenty hours of preparation this week, it's like I can't get it there. So you just have to bear with me. And so I think what we're going to do is we're going to start with prayer. Seems like a good place to start. So would you bow your heads with me as I pray, um, Lord. I need you, I I don't have the words, um, but I've seen your heart, I know your heart, and uh, my prayer for today is that um, that you would work through my words, that you work in spite of my words, that, that each individual here would be able to understand a little bit more of, of who you are in your heart today, because it's so apparent in the story of Jonah. Um, Would you move, would you do me a favor and move yourself closer to each of these through my my speaking, if possible, uh, this morning? Amen. Okay, here's the deal. Last week we started the story of Jonah, and really you could boil down what we talked about with Jonah into this one statement that um, we will never be happy apart from God, that that life apart from god there there isn't happiness apart from from god and so that's why running is such a bad idea this is this series white flag is all about how we run away from god and how we need to wave the white flag and surrender to him and that's why running is so bad because when we get apart from god we, we lose happiness. We're not going to be happy apart from God. And so that's why Jonah's story is so important because we can look at Jonah's story. It's silly. If you were here last time, we laughed at him. He did some silly things, and we can maybe see those silly things in ourselves. And that's why it's an important story. But what we really learned from the, the story of Jonah that I wanted you guys to see was that, it, yes, we run, Jonah runs, but it's really what it was cool to watch is God's reaction to runners his general attitude towards people who say no. Because that's what Jonah did. He's like, go to Nineveh, tell these people about, if you're not familiar with the story, he God approaches Jonah and says, I want you to go and do my work in this foreign land called Assyria in Nineveh. And and Jonah's like, I'd like to not do that. No, thank you. In fact, I'm going to go as far the opposite direction as I can go to this town called Tarshish. That's like, it's as far as he knew it was, it was at the end of the map, and, and, and away from Nineveh, and he's like, no, I don't want to do that. And wh- through Jonah's story last week, we got to see what's God's reaction when we do that to him, and his reaction is he actually comes after us. He actually, he doesn't just say, okay, heck with you. He says, no, I, I Jonah, I could do my work through somebody else, but I would like to do it through you, and we, we, we've camped on this one phrase that God was coming after Jonah to win him back not pay him back Uh, and and I think we needed to some of us needed to hear that that God there's some things in your life and here's the thing that you also learn through Jonah's life that kind of stinks it's like um, he's not a God's not afraid to use work through or even send calamity to bring you back he sent a, a giant fish that ate Jonah. He sent a storm. He's uh, not afraid to use storms and to send storms into your and my life as, as a way of going like this. Tap, tap, tap. As we're running away, he's tap, tap, tap on our shoulders. And when I encourage you to look through the circumstances in your own life. How is God maybe tapping on your, your shoulders saying, hey, 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 come back? Because he's after you. Not to pay you back, but to win you back, to bring you back into his will, so that's what we talked about last time now, this time and this this next phrase i, I it's written down i've worked on it a ton it's horrible, so you just this is what you have to bear with me here today is really about it, it is possible for us to keep the laws of god we're going to learn through through Jonah that jonah was he waved the white flag to the the laws of God, the rules of God. He was a good Jewish dude, a Hebrew that that knew backwards and forwards the Hebrew law. And he was good at keeping that law. And it's possible we'll learn through Jonah for us to keep the laws of God without ever sharing the love of God. Okay? Doing, in other words, we can do everything he says but not ever share his heart. Um. we can look like God. We can, in our lives, we can say, I, I want to I be like Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do what he says is right and stay away from what he says is wrong. We can do that and still not be like him or act like God. And, and here's, here's what I mean. I'm going to use a sports analogy because that usually works to help us see things. Imagine somebody who w- joined a baseball team and they love baseball and they had all of the gear, all of the equipment, the bats, the gloves. They even had those tight pants, and they even liked wearing them, you know, sliding around in them, and they walked around patting their, their teammates on the butt. Good job, you know, the whole baseball thing, okay? Imagine if they practiced with them, you know, they, they got all psyched up, and then when it came time for game time, they stayed in the dugout. They, they they. what did I write down here? They played the part, but they never even but they never played the game. They never played the sport. They did practice. They're all about it. They talked about. It. They studied the sport, but they never actually played it. I'm afraid that in faith we can do something similar. We can play the part. We can dress up for church. We can do all of. We can be very focused on what we're going to call the moral will of God for my life. You understand the moral will of God is is this, it's, it's, there's some right things that are right, there's some things that are wrong that God you know, has something to say about, He talks about it in, our, in, a, in His Word, and I'm trying to, to pursue that. And I, I'm submitted, I'm surrendered, I've waved the white flag to the moral will of God. It's possible for us to wave the white flag to the moral will of God while never, ever, ever surrendering ourselves to what I want to call the global will of God. In other words, it's it's possible for us to suit up for, for baseball, but never play the game. Never actually go out there and do the sport. And I think the same thing can happen with our religion. And we'll see it through Jonah today very clearly, that Jonah was 100%... Surrendered to the, the moral will of God in his right, life. What, what, you know, what's right, what's wrong, and I, checking the boxes. Yeah, I ran away from God, but I've come back, I repented, you know, and, and I do things wrong, and I ask for forgiveness. And that was really the extent of his religion. His religion was really, if you looked at it, all about himself. While at the same time, he wasn't surrendered to the global will of God. The global will of God is what God is doing in the world. That, that when you look around and you see this amazing creation that we live in, the mountains, the beauty, the majesty, that's telling us something. It's not just telling us there is a God, but the, the creativity, the intricacies, tells us that he's actually up to something. That he didn't just create all this for fun, although it's fun. He created it for a purpose. And his global will means that he's moving it towards those purposes every day. Do you understand? This is what I was having a hard time. It's like, how do I explain the, the moral will of God versus the global will? I think you guys, have you got it? It's, it's completely possible to be surrendered to the, the, the moral will of God while well, not surrendering to the global will of God. Now here's the danger of this, and we're going to see this in Jonah's life today really clearly there's a progression that happens. If you're surrendered just to the moral will of God, that is what's right and what's wrong, and you're very focused on that, you start to get focused on yourself and what you do, and it's all about what I do, and if I do something wrong, it's just me and Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. I ask for forgiveness. You know, and, and then all of a sudden, especially if it gets boiled down to rules, you'll start to say, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and then you'll start to recognize other people around you that are not doing it. And if that's all you're thinking about, it's very quick, you can very quickly start to think, well, I'm better than them. And when you start thinking about when that you're better than someone, you have a hard time caring for someone, don't you? You have a hard time thinking to yourself, it like, and, and, and this never works out. When you hold your, hold people to standards that they're not holding themselves to, so like inside your religion, I'll say religion because this isn't just Christianity, this is any religion, If I'm holding you to standards uh, that you as a person who's outside of my religion don't hold yourself, you don't hold yourself to those standards, that's not going to go well. You're not going to like me. But here's the real rub. Here's the real problem with that. You're not only going to resist me, you're going to resist what I stand for. And that's when things get ugly. And that's why this is so important. Because when a bunch of people who come together under the name of a God or a religion, if, if they're a bunch of people who are surrendered to the moral will of that God or that religion, well not surrendered to, you know, you see what I'm saying? When that happens, people begin to resist us and therefore they start to resist our message. And we become, instead of being, you know, here we are, we're surrendered to the moral will of God, but yet we're, ob- we're an obstacle to his global will. That's a problem. And here's what we're going to find today, and this, this is what Jonah kind of affords us through this story. Um, I have a wood pile at my house. Have you ever get to the bottom of your wood pile? And those bottom pieces that the last course, it's got little grass growing over it. And you go to pick up one of those logs and you flip it over and it's got all of those squirmy wormies. We're going to see some squirmy wormies in Jonah's life today. We're going to be like, oh, Jonah, ew. But if we're honest with ourselves, we might get a chance to see that the ew is actually you too. And the e is actually me as well. Does that make sense? Through the life of Jonah, we'll be able to see that maybe our religion, it's very easy for your religion to become all about yourself. And honestly, for some of us, our story is we left church years ago because while we're open to God and we're open to the idea of religion, organized religion is just kind of ew. It's probably of our experience with religious people. I want to make sure as we're starting a church that we try hard to make sure that we're not that for people. Okay, this sermon's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Praise God. All right, I don't have a transition into Jonah. Let's just start reading it. Jonah, um, Jonah chapter 2 verse 10, we pick up, he's in the, he's in the belly of a whale um, and uh, we talked about last time if, if if you have a hard time believing that, if you have a hard time swallowing that a guy was in the belly of a whale, I totally understand that. don't worry about it. If, if you want to just look at this as a myth with a message, that's great. I don't look at it that way, but that's, it, it's totally I don't want you to miss the story of God in here. So this is what happens. Jonah gets swallowed by a whale, and God um, God in, in there he starts praying to God and and starts actually um waving the white flag. He has this awesome prayer we're not going to go through it today. And after the prayer, it says this. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited, gross, Jonah onto dry land. Um and then it, it just keeps going right into, this is chapter 3, verse 1, if you have your Bible. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, because they've already been through this once. I want you to go to Nineveh. And he said, no, I'm out. So, and then he did the whole thing last time. He said this, go to the great city of Nineveh. I also would like to think he said, go take a shower first, but it doesn't say that. Go to the great city of Nineveh. God, is all business here. I want you to go and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. He's at least 550 miles away from the city at this this point in time. Maybe more because he's gone the wrong direction for a while. So it's, it's a long walk. Weeks of walking. And he gets to the city and, and, and now we get to, here, we get a chance to learn about this city, Nineveh, which, by the way, Nineveh, I mean, you can read about it in history, you, you studied it in world civilization. But here, here's a little bit about it. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, it took about three days to go through it, the Bible says, meaning that it took three days to see the sights. It's that big of a town. So here, Jonah walks into. This, he's, he's got this long walk. He's far, far away from home. He's not in Kansas anymore. He, he's in a culture that's not like his. He's dressed differently. He's, he, he maybe not, doesn't even speak the same language. They, they don't know the word God. They don't know God by name. They, they are a pagan nation, and he's supposed to speak a message to them, and, and this is what he starts to do. Verse four: Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming. So on the first day, he starts proclaiming. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned, meaning it'll be overrun. It, it might be it'll be taken over by somebody else, and it'll be pillaged. The, and this this is where it gets a little strange. Verse five: The Ninevites believe God, just. Day one, like that, one line, hey, 40 days more, it's going to be overturned. For some reason, they they believed him. Propl- a uh, fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, so it's like all, all the people, not just a, a small group of people or a portion of the city, but like throughout the whole city, they start to fast, and they put on sackcloth, which is their way of wearing black, to grieve. And it's a little bit more than that, like... It's more destitute than that. This was a customary sign of humbling oneself in the ancient world, was to put on sackcloth and sometimes to put ashes on your head. They do that. Isn't this really strange? Like, it's pre- street preaching that actually worked. Um, so it, why, why why in the world would they take them seriously? And, and the, if you look at um, historically what was happening around that time, about 750 B.C., there was a few things in that region that was happening. First, the Assyrians were very, they were, remember, they were violent, they were vicious people, and they were the world power. But around that time, around the time of Jonah, this is outside the Bible, so this is, this is, one, this is a possibility, a theory. There was, there was, others, there was three tribes um, that had banded together in opposition to the Assyrians. So it's possible that right around this time, that was going down, and they were thinking, oh my gosh, we could be overturned. So we need to repent. That could be one of the reasons. Another reason was there was a, a couple really big plagues during that period of time, so that could have attributed to it. Um, another one was uh, there was a total eclipse of the sun around that time, which only happens, like it happened a couple of years ago. I don't think it happens for another 30, 40, 50 years. It only happens kind of once every generation. If you weren't able to explain what that is, it would be kind of freaky, wouldn't it? And so they, they might have looked at that and said, God's up to something. Who knows? I mean, for crying out loud, Jonah had just spent three days in the belly of a whale. He probably looked like a freak, a zombie walking around. And once you've been in the belly of a whale, what are you afraid of? Like, seriously, like, can, how can it get worse than that? So he was probably preaching fearlessly. I, I have no idea. But for whatever the reason, they repented. It worked. And my theory is is because there were some things happening around. Whatever the circumstances, God was tapping on their shoulder. As, as a culture, as a city, there was things happening. He's like, hey, 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 come back. Turn around. Uh, come on. Word reaches the king. And he says this. This is in the second half of verse 8. He says, let everyone call urgently on, what was his name again? Oh, on God. Yeah, everybody, call on the name, on God because th- this is happening. Let, ev- let them give up their evil ways and their violence which is what they were known for. And all of a sudden, in this defining moment, he's able to see that's violence. Um, And uh, who knows? Verse 9, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. He He has this change of heart and he demands that everybody else follows him in it. Verse 10, When God saw what they did, and how they turned or you could say changed from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Why? Because God is after people in order to win them back, not to pay them back. God is after people who even who are very far from him who are uh, uh, maybe downright evil is what I mean we anybody would characterize this culture as very very violent brutal but God is after them not not to pay them back because when they change when they change their evil ways he relents and he doesn't send calamity on them now this is where the story should end Right? Because you could just tie a bow on the end of it and be like, this is happy ending. And they all lived happily ever after. Honestly, if you and I were shooting a, a movie of this, like from this account, we would be really tempted at this point, at the end of chapter 3, there's a whole other chapter of Jonah left. It would be really tempting for us to, to say, okay, let's do the cheesy group hug scene with Jonah and the Ninevites. Cut. That's a wrap. Send it to Hollywood. And that's how you and I would end the movie, but this is the Bible. And if you've ever spent time reading the, the characters and the accounts that are in the Bible, you'll find out really quick that the Bible is really raw. It's really real. It's about people who are inconsistent. It's about people who are kind of sordid, in the way that they do things. That, that Sometimes they're like this, sometimes they're not. Honestly, they're about, it's about real people they're like you. They're like me. The, even the heroes are not there's a dark side to even the heroes. And they want to be good but they do the wrong thing. And so since this is what the Bible does, we have chapter 4 because things start to get ugly with Jonah. It says this in chapter 1. But Jonah, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong the fact that God would relent and turn from from sending calamity to him, he said, God, that was wrong. To him, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And and here we learn something about Jonah at this point. Here's where we're lifting up the log and it's going to get a little not pretty. Look at this verse 2. Jonah prayed. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? See, le- we didn't know this beforehand. I, if you had asked me why he was running from God, it's because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. I, I, I would have said he was probably afraid of what the Ninevites, this violent nation, would do towards to him. We're going to learn something very different here. We're going to learn that, that here in a second that Jonah wasn't afraid of what the Ninevites would do to him. What Jonah was afraid of was, what God would do or not do to the Ninevites. Check this out, verse, verse uh, 2. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Because I knew you were going to do this. He's like saying, I knew this. I knew this about you. I knew you would just turn around and forgive them. If they, you know, if they repented. I knew that you, pay attention to these words, are gracious and compassionate, God. I I knew you would be slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew, God, that you would be a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew it. And that's why I didn't want to go I was afraid of what you, the grace and the mercy that you might extend to people I don't like. you, Jonah. Your religion is all about yourself. Instead of it rejoicing in God's goodness and grace, he's literally angry. And then it goes on to say this. Verse 3, he says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, this is depression. Jonas had surrendered to the laws of God, to the moral will of God. He'd waved the white flag to to the right and wrong, that kind of thing in life. He has yet to surrender to God's global will, the purposes of God in this world. The the purpose of, of, of to go and to bring people back, to win people back, not to pay them back and this is his sin the sin of his religion is it's all about himself and this is why he finds himself wrestling with God even to the point he wants to die and the Lord replies this is so good he's he's like all God says is this he says and this is in verse 4 he says is it right for you big capital y-o-u to be angry Jonah I mean let's just rewind a little bit it was just a couple weeks ago that you were calling into the repentance hotline and and asking, please, God, get me out of this whale. Please, God, I need your grace and mercy. How long, do you have any right to be angry? You? Jonah has no response to that. He just walks away. He's got no comeback. It literally says he just leaves the city. He goes outside the city up on a hill to watch to see what God will do to Nineveh. Now keep in mind, this is modern-day Iraq is, is where Nineveh was. And so a very, extremely hot region of the world. And, and very quickly, Jonah tries to make a shelter to bring some shade, and it must not have worked because God actually sends, it says, again, that word sends, or God provided, a plant. And this is, this is strange as well. He, he provides a plant or a vine to grow and to give... Um, Jonah shade. And I just, I love this picture because, again, what you and I would have done would have been like, heck with this guy. all right I already got what I needed out of him. The Ninevites repented. He's being a stick in the mud. He's a party pooper. Let him just go do his own thing. No. Even now, God is still relentlessly pursuing Jonah's heart. Even now, he's trying to get him to submit to, hey, Jonah, tap, tap, tap. Hey, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. I see your discomfort. I'm going to provide for you a vine. I'm going to give you shelter and shade. He loves Jonah. And what's so funny about this, in this thing, is there's a phrase that says, and Jonah was really happy about the vine. It literally says that. Um, The King James Version, instead of you saying vine or plant, it says gourd. And Jonah was really happy about the gourd. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Here's a guy, he's literally he can he's in within eyesight of a whole city of people who have just repented and turned to God and he's happy about a pumpkin. It's just ridiculous. Well, that doesn't last for very long. God again sends a worm to eat the the plant or the vine or the gourd. And so, like, within 24 hours, it's gone. And then, God, if that's not bad enough, God sends, it says a scorching east wind. And um, I've never been in that part of the world, but I've heard that when those winds come off of the desert, the the temperature can rise, like, 15 to 20 degrees in less than an hour. It's kind of the opposite of here. You know, when, when it's windy here, it gets cold. There, it gets hot. And Jonah is just miserable absolutely miserable and again he says this he says um, he says I I, I, I'm so I want to die and God again says do you have any right to be angry he says I do I'm angry enough to die okay drama queen again but again you and I would not have put up with this guy but God does And the book ends with this, and this is the crux of the book. It ends with these verses. It says, But the Lord said, Joni, you've been concerned, and that's an important word, hang on to it, about this plant, this gourd. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. In other words, it's extremely temporal, It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. You didn't do anything for it. And that's what you're concerned about? And then he says this, and should I not have concern, there's a word again, for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than, and we learned this, 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. It is they're like children. Th- I know they're violent. But there's a part of it where they're just doing what they think's best. They're not violent just to be violent. They're violent to hopefully gain something for themselves and they don't know their right hand from their left. And also many animals. The end. That's how the book ends. Great literary device there, right? But did he just run out of paper? <laughs> did, did, was, was it due at midnight online? He <laughs> just ran out of time? I mean, I'm, it's funny because like I think about this. If I'm pretty sure I have handed in stuff like that before, and I, I got it back with an I for incomplete because it's like, Josh, where's the resolution? Where's the denouement? Is that right? Is that right? Oh, I nailed it. What, what what's going on here? Let me let me just read it again to you so that you, you feel it. Verse eleven. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than hundred and twenty thousand people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Can we go home now? Like, I just—what am I supposed to do with that? And, and honestly, there's been a lot of writing as to why this is because it's probably the most peculiar, c- peculiar ending in the in the Bible. I think it's genius. And, and this is, this is Josh talking here, but I think it's genius because in this book that's named Jonah, it's all about a guy who ran from God whose religion is really all about himself, and God can hardly get a word in edgewise through the whole book, but he gets the last word at the end. I think that's part of the reason why I like that ending. I think the biggest reason why I like this ending is because looking at the open-ended nature of it, anybody who reads this book seriously, you have to come to this book and you're almost invited into it with that question, aren't you? Jonah, you're concerned about a gourd. What are you concerned about? And Jonah's like, it's hot. I'm going to go home. I don't like it here. Jonah, you're concerned about that. I'm concerned, my the glo- my global will, my, I'm concerned about 120,000 people. And it ends with that. And I think it invites us in to say, all right, We know what Jonah was concerned about, and it was lame. What am I concerned about? And how does it match up to what God is concerned about? And if you want to know what you're concerned about, it's really easy. It's a very easy exercise. Just look at Jonah. What makes you happy? What makes you angry? if you were to follow your time, your talent, your resources, what keeps you up at night, if you were to follow that natural, where does that take you? Because that's what you're concerned about. And then just match it up because you know what God's concerned about. He's concerned about this great town of Evergreen that are full of people. Good people. People who are better parents than I am. Way better businessmen, smarter women. I mean, it's just, it's not easy, not hard to do that for me. But like, there's better people, but they, when it comes to spiritual things, things of faith, they don't know their right hand from their left. That's what concerns God. Is that what concerns you? If we were to zoom in on your life, what concerns you? I want to end with one of my favorite toys in the world, Google Earth. Go ahead and put that up. That's my house right there. Hey, that's my truck. I didn't see that. That's my truck. Isn't that good-looking truck right there. There's actually two houses there, if you can see it. We own two houses. We bought it about eight years ago, and they were in bad, bad state, which was very concerning to us because we had to spend a lot of time fixing them up. And also, through the last eight years, we started having children. And I started noticing very quickly that through the fact of owning a crappy house and having three children, and I think I was working on my master's at the time as well, I started to not have a lot of time for other things, which was concerning to me. I remember one year, I was like, I only got to ski like three times. Three times! And like and this year, I only got to ski twice. It's worse. At this rate, I won't be skiing in two years. <laughs> I, summer's coming. I love to fly fish. I look at my calendar. There's no time for fly fishing. And when the fall rolls around, fall's just kind of go time in a lot of our worlds. You know, kids going back to school and church stuff. And I love to hunt. I could be able to hunt. See, if I zoom in on my house and my activities, and I see where my resources and my time and my talents and my what I daydream about. And I found that like the more things just get a little stringent on my schedule, the more creative I get. So, all my creativity is going to. If you zoomed in on my life, you find out really quickly what I'm concerned about. And I think what God's asking us to do in this story. He's asking us to zoom out. Go ahead and zoom out. So there's my house. Can you zoom out one more time? What happens if you do that? Zoom in. Those are my neighbors. Behind me is David. That's Phil. Oh, look, the Aspens are changing. Isn't that cool? If you're creeped out by technology then you swear like the government's watching you, don't look at Google Earth. It'll confirm your suspicion. There's Phil's house. Sanderson's house is down there a little lower. Bob's house is right there. I don't know their name. I don't know their name. And I don't know their name. Josh, what are you concerned about? Gourd. Fishing. Because I'm concerned about the people around you. There's In that house right there, there was an elderly, elderly lady who moved out recently. And I remember a couple of years ago, she was so lonely. And I was so busy. This is what God's concerned about. Zoom out more. That's my neighborhood. This is three miles from here. Old Squaw Pass. Great neighborhood. Zoom out more. Zoom out more, there's Evergreen, there's the lake, it's our town. Zoom out more, there's a city, metro area, rated the number one city to live in by someone recently, I can't remember who, full of people. Full of people who basically don't go to church. Like like the stats are Denver's not great. And evergreens above that. (laughs) Zoom out more. There's our great state. Zoom out more. This is what God's concerned about. Our country. There's Texas. He's even concerned about Texas. Might be really concerned about Texas, actually. I was just there. Zoom out more. Zoom out more. This is what God's concerned about. What are we concerned about? It's easy to find out. And we as church people, I'm speaking to church people right now, good Christian people, it's so easy to become uh, concerned, you know, like, oh, I'm doing what's right and I'm doing what's wrong. and You know, like, it's you and me, Jesus, and I need forgiveness, and it's all about me. Let's make sure that we're not just surrendered to the moral will of God. That's important. It's extremely important. That's how we step into the life that he designed us to have, the good life. But let's make sure that what we use our time, our talents, our abilities. And oh my goodness, if we if we were a church, I know there's not that many people in this room right now. But bigger things have started with smaller groups of people. If we did, if we concerned ourselves about the things that concern God, I think a town can change. A world can change. But we have to be willing to check our hearts. Make sure that we're not an obstacle to people coming to faith of this 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 amazing message of a God who comes to win us back, not to pay us back. Let me pray. God, um, oh, I forgot to say this. Lord, if there's somebody in our lives, if there's somebody in our sphere of influence that needs to be reached, someone we work with, someone we... Um, uh, we do the child care pick-up and drop-off thing with someone. Anyone that surrounds us, who are you concerned with around us, Lord? Would you help us today not to leave this room without seeing that one person and then committing to to calling them, to reaching out to them this week? Lord, change our hearts. We Thank you that you are God that comes after us to win us back. May our faith and our lives be representative of that truth and nothing else, of your grace and your love and your mercy. We get to be a part, and we at Colorado Life Church get to be that as a church. That's what church is. Help us, this group of people, to be that and to do that today. Amen.